Hi, and welcome to Clerkship Ready Pediatrics, a podcast aimed at helping you excel during your clinical clerkship in pediatrics. I'm Augustin Casals, a third-year pediatrics resident at the University of Virginia. So this episode will focus on what you need to know for your first newborn visit as a medical student rotating through pediatrics. There are a few social things that I think are really important to remember before you walk in the patient's room. Having a child is one of the most, if not the most, special events in parents' lives. Nine months have passed with numerous doctor's visits, ultrasounds, and lab tests. For nine months, there's been so many different emotions, cravings, and sleepless nights. There's been baby showers and gender reveals and celebrations, all for that one special day. I wanted to leave with this because whether you're a parent or not, you need to remember that this is an incredible experience for those parents. But for some families, this can be triggering of past traumas, unplanned, or unexpected events. And all in all, it's an emotional time. Newborn follow-ups are seen at general pediatrics or family medicine clinics, usually within just a few days of nursery discharge. You may be working with other third or fourth year medical students, residents, nurses, and attendings. Make sure you introduce yourself to everyone you'll be working with and check in to see which resident or attending you may be working under. Many clinics have specific note templates they use depending on what type of visit they are doing. You'll want to check to see if there's a specific note template for a newborn follow-up as this will help guide what information you need to know to gather and present. Now, let's get into the information you know before you walk into that room. Let's start with the prenatal history. Now, a lot of this information should also have been gathered while in the newborn nursery, which makes it easier to check if they were born within your hospital system. You want to know how the pregnancy itself went. What is the mother's GMP status? How many times has she been pregnant? Has she had any miscarriages? How many living children does she have? Did the mother receive appropriate prenatal care? Or was she late to prenatal care? Did she receive the appropriate number of visits during the prenatal period? Or were there any barriers for receiving prenatal care? Were there any complications during their pregnancy? Did the mother need to be hospitalized for any reason? Did the mother take any medications for pre-existing conditions, or did she develop gestational hypertension or diabetes? Was she using any substances such as alcohol, tobacco, or other illicit drugs during her pregnancy? What type of testing did the mother undergo? What were her prenatal labs, especially HIV, Hep B, syphilis, and GBS? Did she do any prenatal genetic testing, and if so, what were their results? Did her ultrasound scan show anything concerning, such as abnormal anatomy, or positioning? Did she undergo an infectious workup? And if so, was there anything she was positive for and need to receive antibiotics or antivirals? What was her blood type and did she ever receive Rogam? Now, let's move on to the day the baby was born. This is really important so that you have a framework for what this delivery looked like as well as the following days. One of the most important aspects of this newborn's history is that you must know is when they were born. Yes, of course I mean their birth date, but what I really mean is how many weeks and days they were when they were born. This piece of information changes how I begin to think about the baby before I even walk into the room. Depending on how far along the mother was when she had her baby, this may change what growth chart they are on, what they do for feeds, risk factors, and how long they were in the hospital. Know if they were preterm and if so, why? Or if they were early term, term, or late term. Know what time they were as well, so you know how to appropriately calculate their bilirubin curve, which we will get to later. You will want to know how this baby was delivered. Was it a spontaneous vaginal delivery or a C-section? 
If it was a C-section, you'll want to know why. Was it the mother's choice, a recommendation by her OBGYN, possibly because she already had a C-section, or is this an emergency? Did any instruments need to be used, such as forceps or a vacuum, and why? Was the amniotic fluid clear or meconium stained? How long was the mother's membranes ruptured for? Prolonged rupture of membranes, which is defined as greater than 18 hours, puts the infant at higher risk for infection, so that's why this piece is important. So how did the baby do after they were delivered? What were all the recorded APGAR scores and what, if any, type of resuscitation the baby receive? The APGAR scores really puts a picture in my mind what this baby looked like when they were born, so that's why this is important. If you have access to the newborn HMP, you will want to read over it carefully, especially the document and physical exam, to see if there's anything to pay extra attention to today or changes during your physical exam. You'll want to know what the baby's weight, height, and head circumference were, and whether they were small for gestational age, appropriate for gestational age, or large for gestational age, and in any of those categories. Remember, LGA is the 90th percentile or greater, and SGA is the 10th percentile or less. After the baby was born, did they stay in the newborn nursery for the remainder of their stay, or did they need to go to the NICU? If this baby went to the NICU, you must know why for how long, and what was done during their stay. There are three preventive treatments the baby should receive within the first few hours of life that is recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics. They are vitamin K, erythromycin eye ointment, and the hep B vaccine to decrease the prevalence of hemorrhagic disease of the newborn, gonococcal ophthalmia neonatorum, and hepatitis B, respectively. This is important to know as it may guide your clinical judgment and recommendations when seeing the newborn. Now, like I said, most of that information will be very similar to the information you gathered before you saw the infant for the first time on the newborn nursery. However, it's always important to look over this information yourself as things can slip through the cracks or be missed. Now, let's move on to what was done while this baby was in the newborn nursery. You will have infants that stayed in the NICU or were discharged from the NICU, and hopefully you will have access to a discharge summary so that you know everything that was done while the baby was there. But for this podcast episode, I'm going to assume that the baby you are about to see was discharged from the newborn nursery and did not need to go to the NICU. But if they did, know why, for how long, and what was done. So now that you know mother's prenatal history and the baby's delivery history, let's turn our focus to what's important to know while they were in the newborn nursery. Another very important piece of information to know is how was this baby fed? I can also not stress enough how important this is, as it is one of the main activities that newborns do. They eat, sleep, pee, and poop. But how much they pee and poop depends on how much nutrition they are getting, and they wake up from sleep because they're hungry. The AAP recommends breastfeeding exclusively till nine, till six months of age, excuse me. But not all parents can and want to breastfeed for this long and it is not our job to judge their feeding choice. So, you want to know whether this baby is breastfed or formula fed or a mix of both. Breastfeeding can be difficult and takes time and practice on both the mother's and infant's side, and you'll want to know how this went while they were in the hospital. If the mother has breastfed before, then sometimes they need less support. But first-time breastfeeding moms often require a lactation consultant, and this is important to know before you see them. If the mother decided to start formula, I think it's important to know why, but remember, feeding a baby can be so challenging for parents, so respect their feeding decision. 
you'll want to know if the baby had any suspicion for infection. This can be based off mother's history, the delivery, or baby, baby's vital signs while in the nursery. Any abnormal vital signs can be an indication of infection in newborns, but it is particularly important to know whether they, whether they ever had a fever or were hypothermic during their newborn stay. Bilirubin, bilirubin, bilirubin. Probably the most frequent issue pediatricians monitor in the newborn period is a baby's bilirubin level, since hyperbilirubinemia can lead to cernicterus and is easily preventable. You will find another episode on this podcast focusing on hyperbilirubinemia cases, so I won't get into that too much, but there are different processes that can lead to hyperbilirubinemia, some benign and some pathologic. So if the baby has risk factors for hyperbilirubinemia or was treated with phototherapy, fluids, medications, or an exchange transfusion, you need to know why. Depending on the mother's blood type, they may or may not check the baby's blood type, but if they do, know what it was, as ABO or RH incompatibility increases the infant's risk of hyperbilirubinemia through hemolysis. Before the baby is discharged, they should receive a hearing screen. Know these results as you may need to refer them to audiology if they did not pass. If they didn't pass, know what was done. Was repeat testing done or was there infectious etiology suspected such as CMV and was testing done? They may also have a CCHD or critical congenital heart disease screen done. And you'll want to know whether the newborn passes screen tests or if they failed and cardiology saw them. A newborn should also have a newborn screen collected, which is done in the newborn nursery, which screens for possible genetic and metabolic diseases, and it is important to know that it was done. If you are seeing the newborn and they are only a few days old, this test likely won't be back but it's important to keep an eye out for to make sure that it was done and done properly in case you need to repeat the testing during the newborn visit. If the baby was in breech position during their third trimester, you may also need to be ordering a hip ultrasound for them to evaluate for possible developmental dysplasia of the hip. So we've talked about the newborn nursery course and let's summarize what it's important to take away from this time. What was the baby doing for feeds and how did they do? Did the mother or baby require any extra support for feeding while the newborn nursery? What was the baby's birth weight and their discharge weight? Was there any concern for an infection for the newborn during their nursery stay? And if so, what was done? Does the newborn have any risk factors for jaundice? Did they require treatment for it? And what was the level, level of their last bilirubin check and how many hours old were they? What was the phototherapy threshold based off their level? Did the newborn complete all the appropriate discharge screening tests such as hearing, CCHD, and newborn screen, and what were the results? So I know that sounds like a ton of information to gather for a patient that is only a few days old, but it can change how you think and approach the newborn visit. Hopefully you can quickly gather all this information from the newborn HMP, progress notes, and discharge summary. So for example, before I walk into the patient's room, I can already say, this is a four-day-old male born term at 39 weeks, three days to a 27-year-old G2P2002 mother on 12-7-22 at 6 p.m. via spontaneous vaginal delivery. Rupture of membranes was four hours and amniotic fluid was clear. APGARs at delivery were 8 and 9 at 1 and 5 minutes respectively and resuscitation included nasal suctioning at birth. Mother received appropriate prenatal care and her pregnancy was complicated by gestational diabetes. Mother's blood type is O positive and baby's blood type is O positive. 
infant received appropriate preventive treatments, including erythromycin eye ointment, vitamin K, and hep B vaccine. The newborn nursery course was uncomplicated. Mother elected to breastfeed after birth and did see lactation during her stay. The bilirubin level was 5.4 at 27 hours with a light level of 12.1 on the low risk curve. There were no concerns for infection and mother's prenatal serologies, including GBS status, were negative. Infant's birth weight was 3.5 kilograms and discharge weight was 3.33 kilograms, down 5% from birth. The infant passed her CCHD and hearing screens and the newborn screen was collected and is pending. Now that you can summarize the relevant prenatal delivery and newborn history, well, let's go see the patient. Always remember to knock before walking into any patient's room, but particularly when seeing an infant. Mothers may be breastfeeding and you'll want to be respectful and allow time for them to cover up if she needs to. And remember, these parents have just had an incredible and exhausting experience, so be patient and kind. This is a unique history to gather as a newborn may have just been discharged from the hospital the day before you're seeing them. I recommend that you start by asking if they have any questions or concerns about their newborn. Many first-time parents, understandably, may have lots of questions, and your job during this visit is not only to perform a history and physical exam, but also provide parents with reassurance and anticipatory guidance. You may not know the answers to parents' questions about what formula is best or what that funny sound is that their baby is making when they sleep, but that's okay. I learned those answers by listening to my attendings answer those questions. So if you don't know the answer, just say, I'm sorry, I'm not sure but I will ask my supervising resident or attending and we will let you know. Now let's move on to feeding. Like I said earlier, this is one of the most important activities that newborns do, so it's important to get a thorough feeding history. You'll want to know whether they are breastfeeding or taking formula and what the parent's goal for feeding is. Some parents may be supplementing with formula as the mother's breast milk hasn't completely come in yet. So for example, if they are formula feeding, ask if their goal is to breastfeed or stick with formula. Next, you'll want to find out how frequently and for how long the newborn is feeding. During the newborn period, infants should be feeding every two to three hours without going longer than four hours without a feed, including during the nighttime. If they are breastfeeding, you'll want to ask for how long the infant is on each breast, if the mother is alternating breast, and if she is having any pain or difficulty getting the infant to latch. If there's any pain or difficulty latching, this is a great time to see if the mother would be interested in getting a lactation consult to give some tips and tricks. You'll want to know if and when the mother is pumping, and if so, how much milk she is producing. This can give you a measure of whether mother's milk has come in yet. It can take several days following birth for mother's milk to come in, and the best way to promote milk production is by stimulation through feeding or pumping. The less stimulation, the less milk production. At the initial newborn visit, mothers will likely be making very small amounts of colostrum, which is hyper-concentrated early breast milk. If the infant is taking formula for feeds, you'll want to again know how often, but also what type of formula and how much. Newborns should take anywhere from 1 to 2 ounces during a feed. Now that you know the duration and amount for feeding, let's ask some questions about what the infant looks like while they are feeding. If the newborn is gagging or coughing with feeds, this may be due to poor sucking coordination, anatomical issues, or incorrect bottle positioning. If the parents are using a bottle to feed, the bottle should be held slightly less than 45 degree angle. The parents may also mention that they are concerned that their newborn is spitting up or vomiting, and if so, you'll want to characterize it. All newborns will spit up, since the distance from their stomach to mouth is so short and their lower esophageal sphincter is not as developed as in adults. 
you'll want to make sure the parents are appropriately burping their child. I like to recommend holding the baby so that their chest is against the parents, their head is on their shoulder, and gently pat their back for at least 5-10 to 10 minutes after feeding to allow gravity to work and release any air in the stomach. You should also ask about any perioral cyanosis, sweating, or tiring out associated with feeding, as this may be a sign of congenital heart disease. Remember, feeding is a workout for newborns. Let's move on to how much the infant is urinating and stooling in a 24-hour period. If you listen to the Newborn Nursery Podcast, you'll remember that as a rule of thumb, infants should void twice on their second day of life, three times on their third day of life, and etc., up to a minimum of about six voids per day. Urate crystals or brick dust and vaginal white discharge due to withdrawal from maternal hormones and even vaginal spotting or bleeding are sometimes mistaken as hematuria, but are normal in newborn babies in the first couple of days of life. By the time you're seeing them for follow-up, hopefully the infant's stool should have transitioned from the thick meconium to more yellow-green CD stools, or at least has started to. It's very important to not just ask about how many stools the newborn is having, as this is an indication for how much nutrition they are receiving, but also the color of the stools. Gray or pale colored stools can be a sign of inappropriate bile excretion due to biliary atresia, which is an emergency and requires surgical correction. Now let's move on to sleep. Infants should be sleeping alone on their back in their own bassinet or crib without any pillows, stuffed animals, or puffy blankets. This is important to ask about and provide safe sleep recommendations to decrease the risk of SIDS. I recommend you talk about this in the moment in a non-judgmental way. Next, it's good to know who's taking care of the baby, who's living at home, and what type of support system the parents have. Taking care of a newborn is a full-time job, and parents are getting a little sleep and are exhausted, so it's good to know who is helping them. You should also ask whether anyone who spends time around the baby smokes, and if so, where. Secondhand smoke is known to be associated with SIDS, so anyone spending time around the newborn should be smoking outside, changing clothes, and washing their hands before interacting with the newborn. If mother does not have a strong support system, you may want to connect in with local peer support groups, online groups, or a social worker. Now, by gathering the information we just talked about, that will answer most of the important review assistant questions, but there are just a few more important questions to ask. You'll want to ask whether the newborn seems irritable, which should raise your suspicion for infection, such as meningitis, or is hard to wake up, which should raise your suspicion for infection or hypoglycemia due to not getting enough nutrition. If the newborn has had any fevers, which is 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit or higher. We don't recommend that parents routinely check a temperature unless they are concerned that the infant is sick. This is a great time to ask if the parents have a thermometer and to remind them that obtaining a rectal th- temperature is the most accurate source and any reading of 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit or higher means the parents need to go straight to the emergency department for further workup. You will also want to ask if the baby has any rashes. There are many newborn rashes such as erythema toxicum neonatorum or milia and you should familiarize yourself with the common newborn rashes. Let's move on to vital signs. Normal newborn vitals are for temperature Appropriate range is 36.5 Celsius to 37.9 Celsius. Heart rate range is about 120 to 160 beats per minute. The respiratory rate is about 35 to 60 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 90s on room air. 
But one of the most important pieces of information to know for a newborn is their weight. I think of a newborn's weight trajectory during the first week or so to have a U shape. It is normal for a newborn to lose 5 to 10% of their birth weight in the first few days. However, they should regain their birth weight by around day 10 to 14 of life, and weight loss greater than 10% should be investigated. Weight loss greater than 10% could be due to insufficient caloric intake if an infant is exclusively breastfeeding and mother's milk has not completely come in yet. If the baby is taking formula, you will want to ensure that the parents are appropriately mixing the formula. Parents should be measuring and adding the appropriate amount of water, then adding the powdered formula. You should also be thinking of other pathologic reasons for why this baby is struggling to gain weight, such as metabolic causes, impaired absorption, or increased demand, such in case of congenital heart disease. For the baby's weight, height, and head circumference, you'll want to make sure that they are on the correct growth chart depending on when they were born. Preterm infants will be on different growth charts compared to term infants. Now, let's move on to the physical exam. This is very similar to the exam you heard in the Newborn Nursery Podcast. So first, general. Make note of their size, level of distress, and ability to calm if fussy. H-E-N-T, note the size and any shaping abnormalities. Note the anterior and posterior fontanelles and check for overriding suture lines. It is also important to check for bruising like caput or acephalohematoma. Eyes, check the pupil shapes. Colobomas are associated with other genetic abnormalities that should be investigated further. Check a red light reflex. The absence of a red light reflex could be due to retinoblastoma or cataracts. Finally, note any scleral icterus to assess for hyperbilirubinemia. Cardiovascular. Hearing murmurs in newborns is difficult since their heart rate is so fast, but take your time. I usually like to start with this part of my exam while the infant is calm so it's easier to hear before you disturb them by doing other parts of your exam. Check for capillary refill, normal is less than 3 seconds, but may be prolonged due to acrocyanosis, which is normal, and, to, and check a femoral and brachial pulse simultaneously. Respiratory. Newborns often do periodic breathing, meaning they'll take a few fast breaths and then slow down. So if you're worried, take a count for a full 60 seconds. Abdominal. Check for any abdominal masses or hernias. Umbilical hernias are common in newborns. Most close on their own by three or four years old, but if it doesn't close or becomes incarcerated, then surgery will be required. I also check for hepatomegaly, and I usually start in the pelvis and slowly walk my fingers up until I feel the liver edge. GU. For males, it is important to note that testicles are present and palpable bilaterally. If they have not descended, descended by six months, the child will need a referral to urology. This is also a good time to check for any inguinal hernias or hydroceles. If the baby has had a circumcision, make sure that it is healing well. For females, make note of whether the anatomy appears normal and whether there is any vaginal discharge. Now, MSK. Check the clavicles for crepus, a sign that there may have been a fracture during, that could have happened during the birthing process. Also, make sure you check the hips for laxity using the Ortolani and Barlow maneuver. You'll want to watch a video to see how this is performed. Skin. Make sure the baby is completely undressed and see if the infant appears jaundiced at all. Check for any birthmarks, such as nevus simplex on the forehead, an angel's kiss, or the back of the neck, such as a stork bite. Make note of a gray-blue spot called congenital dermal melanocytosis, 
often on the lower back or on the butt. Check for any hemangiomas, and depending on the size, number, and location, the infant may require treatment or further workup. However, most hemangiomas rapidly grow in the first year of life and then spontaneously regress. Check the lower back to see if there is a sacral dimple or tuft of hair, which would be concerning for an occult spinal dysraphism. For any terms I've said that you don't know yet, there are great online videos and images you should look for. Neuro. You'll want to assess tone by gently pulling the extremities away from the body and watching for flexion. There are many reflexes that are unique to the newborn exam, such as Rooting, Moro, and Babinski, which you will want to review. After the history and physical exam, it's always important to provide anticipatory guidance. Although it was probably done while they were in the hospital, it's always good to go over this again. Remember to talk about how and when to check a temperature, what constitutes a fever, and when to bring their baby to the emergency department. Safe sleep procedures, prevention of shaken baby syndrome, recognition of postpartum depression, and appropriate feeding techniques. Now, typically the next follow-up appointment is at two weeks of age, but depending on how the baby is doing and the parent's comfort level, you may want to see them sooner for a weight check or to follow up their bilirubin level. Newborn visits are some of my favorite visits to do. It's always nice to see a cute baby, but you can really provide some great reassurance to parents during this time. I hope you found this podcast helpful, and thanks for listening to Clerkship Ready Pediatrics. Don't forget to subscribe below and rate the podcast.